the unity of the Spirit is today's message. Um, we could have went a lot of different places with today's scripture. There's a lot in here to, to go through. In fact, we probably could break this up and preach on it for maybe three or four weeks and look at different scriptures. So um, I'm going to do my best to dive into this with you. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Let us pray. Lord, as we dive into your holy word, God, from the Apostle Paul, of being unified in your spirit, may you help us learn, and God, may you change our hearts and minds to be more like you. May you convict us where we need to be convicted, and to grow us where we need to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, uh, unity is often, right, a popular subject in church. I mean, you guys have all heard it, right? Unity in the church. You guys heard this? Raise your hand. Yes, everybody? Great. So why is that? I mean, the Bible throughout the entire New Testament, really the Old Testament, the whole thing talks about unity in the body of Christ, unity in God's people. And in fact, there are 478 cross-references to today's text. So I would say it's pretty important. The unity in the body what is what separates the Christian community from the world we live in. There's certainly not unity in the world we live in, right? Especially, I mean, here in America, there's certainly not unity right now, right? We have two um, political groups that are always against each other, right? Uh, and even more so. I know up in Canada, my friends, they have a tri-party system, so they really don't get along with each other. And all around the world, we don't get along. We, we, there is not unity. And you would think with 33,000 denominations that we don't get along, that there wasn't unity in the body. Now, have you guys heard the song, Onward, Christian Soldiers? That's that one? All right, great. And why do we sing that? Because we are one army for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not divided. All one body. One in hope. One in doctrine. And one in charity. We are one army for the Lord. How about the song, The Church is One Foundation? Is that a familiar one? Now, we're going to be singing that next Sunday for Reformation Sunday. And it was originally composed by Samuel Wesley. Now, Samuel was the dad of Charles and John Wesley, all Anglican priests, that went against the king, right? And it says in the original words, and I, this is what's hard when hymns even update the words change, but in the original version it said this, Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distress. Heresy in the church, could you imagine? For the first several hundreds of years, we as the church had council after council in order to distress and remove heresies in the church. Why? Because Christ tells us that we must be unified. Paul tells us, we must be unified. And in fact, what did we do to heretics in the early church? 
Well, we burned them at the stake, right? Sometimes wrong, sometimes right. And uh, what's really cool, so my son and I have this thing. Every time we go on vacation, we want if there's a Ripley's, believe it or not, museum, we must go, right? And one in St. Augustine, Florida, it was actually the first one. Um, and there is a part of that museum that has the early uh, torture devices of heretics of the church. And some of them were pretty dramatic, right? But we are the church we are today because of that. And I, we love Ripley's on a side note. We have a letter in the family from Mr. Robert Ripley because my great-grandparents had a singing mouse in Chicago. And my grandmother told the story of hearing this mouse whistle through the walls and sing. And they, this mouse ended up in the Ripley's Museum which was in Texas. So we love Ripley's. Um, but back to my points here. There is one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. And while we can debate the nuances, they are not essentials. And so I got a quote up there from St. Augustine of Hippo, right? And you guys know this guy because... Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. And essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and all things charity. So why I don't agree with every theologian and every pastor, as long as we can get the essentials right, we're together. We're one army for the Lord. Again, Paul told the Ephesians to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bound of peace. So what lessons can we learn from his words today? How does these words from Ephesians impact us at first evangelical Lutheran church of Gray Manor? What can we learn from this text as the body of Christ who is unified in the faith? So this morning we're going to dive in together what it is to be committed to the, the unity of the Spirit. So first of all, we're going to accept each other in love. In love. Now, what is love? That's what we got to ask ourselves. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. And here's our instructions, friends. Conduct yourselves with all humility Gentleness, and the hardest one is the last one, patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the peace that ties you together. We are tied together in the unity of the Spirit. So we must accept each other in love. We must acknowledge our calling from the Lord Again, we'll talk about that later in the message as well. We'll conduct ourselves in humility, gentleness, and patience. And then make an honest effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit of Christ in the church. This means we accept each other for who we are, warts and all. And in our diversity, we accept each other. We're all different. We all have our things that 
make us weird to everyone else. And that's okay. But it means, unlike the outside world, the church doesn't have cliques. They don't have power groups. And they certainly don't have favorites. Right? And as the pastor of the church, I am trying my hardest to model this to the church. And in sincerity, I love each and every one of you, warts and all. And I'm proud to be your pastor. And if we look outside of the Apostle Paul, who demonstrated to us how we must love each other? Well, this is a Christian church after all. It's Jesus, right? Jesus the Nazarene. How did he show his love? Did he do so by being mean, proud, or selfish? Did he have special interest groups trying to persuade his arm? Absolutely not, right? Let the little children come to me. Those without any power or authority in the world, he gave up his time for. So how would it look like if Jesus were to act like the world around us? Wouldn't that be a totally different gospel? We would read it totally different. In fact, we wouldn't be here this morning. He would have been the very leader that the Jewish people were expecting. A king. A king riding on a white horse versus Jesus riding in on a donkey. But instead, Jesus and later Paul would treat their fellow man the way they wanted to be treated. Right? You guys remember the golden rule? I still, you know, I don't have many memories of like when I was really small, but I remember in kindergarten going into the, the trailer there in the back and learning the rules of what it is to be a kindergarten student and them teaching us the golden rule. And I think we need to reinforce that as a church. We need to treat each other the way we want to be treated. We have to be countercultural. Because it's our commission by Paul to do so. So, friends, you have to ask yourself, do you treat each other with love and care 99.9% .9 of the time? Not just in church. I'm talking about your friends and your family outside of church too. How can we do better? And again, frankly, how can we do better? How can we model it for this neighborhood? of Gray Manor. We are a neighborhood church. And there are a lot of people that are really excited. See, neighborhood churches, at maybe 10 years ago, they thought were a thing of the past. Nobody was going to go to the neighborhood church. And then guess what happened? COVID. Neighborhood churches are on the rise because people want to be able to worship in their towns and their communities. And many of you guys live right here near the church. So how do we show love to our neighbor? So second, we are one body. We are one body in Jesus. It says this starting at verse 4. You are one body and one spirit. Just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and end all. 
Friends, we continue to read that as the body of Christ, we believe in these three things. One Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism. And as we mentioned earlier, of the 33,000 denominations, we would not think we are one body. We choose to worship in these different churches. We have different worship styles. And the list goes on, right? Like, you know, me personally, I don't want to go to a full out rock concert every Sunday. But for some people, there are. In, in Finland, for example, there's a Lutheran church that has heavy metal worship. Yeah, some of you guys might like that. I don't know. I know my brother-in-law would probably enjoy that. But not, it's not for me. But the point is, Paul also said, be all things to all people. So we have to be able to figure out how do we evangelize to this hurting generation. And again, we can't even get all Lutherans to agree. How many Lutheran churches at one time have we had in Dundalk? I'm sure there's a lot. I don't know. I know all throughout Maryland, there are so many Lutheran churches. I mean, down in South Louisiana, it was either Baptist, Catholic, or a few Methodists, right? But we are still one body. And sometimes members can go astray. And sometimes entire churches and denominations can go astray from the Scripture. But for the sake of the Gospel, we mo must focus on the essentials that make us believers of Jesus. And notice I didn't say what makes us Lutherans, what makes us Christians that happen to be serving in a Lutheran context. What does it mean to believe in the Lord? Now, this is what's hard, friends. We've talked about this before. What is a Lord? A Lord is someone who has ultimate authority over everything. With the snap of their fingers, they can make you rich. They can take everything away from you, whatever. Jesus is the Lord of our life. He has ultimate authority. It means that our citizenship is in heaven. Remember how Jesus tells Caesar that? That my kingdom is not here on earth? It's the same. Our kingdom is not here on earth. It is with Jesus in heaven. He is the Lord of our lives. It means it's who we ultimately pledge our allegiance to, and then the rest follows. Second, we state our faith. And what does that mean, right? One faith. It means we take seriously the cross and there's only one way to God. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. And any church, now friends, hear this. Any church that preaches that there is another way to the Father other than Jesus Christ is committing heresy. Is not preaching the Bible. And there are those churches out there, friends, that say every pathway leads to God. Well, it's not what the Bible preaches. So I want you just to be careful. I'm not condemning any pastor or church, but I want you to be careful when you're listening to studies, when you're reading some new study that came out on, I don't know, ChristianBook.com, right? I want you to really pay attention. What is being preached? It's the word and word alone through Jesus Christ that saves us. 
And lastly, we say we believe in one baptism. Now, I hope everyone's awake. I see some tired eyes starting to fade off into the distance. One baptism. Now, I have this conversation every time I have a baptism here at First Lutheran. And by the way, we've had, let me keep sure I get these numbers right. We've had 10 folks, I believe, pass away in the last, I don't know, year and a half or something like this, connected to the church. And we've had nine baptisms. So we have been baptizing a lot of kids in the church. And I pray one day to see them all. But the question is always, well, pastor, you know, I was baptized, but I didn't really know what that meant, right? As long as you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have been baptized in the God's family. Why is that important? I mean, why not argue with folks that say, you know, let's just accept we should just get rebaptized every time we sin. Because there are there's a church in Atlanta that one year they get the fire department to come out and they spray the hose on all their members and everybody's rebaptized. Okay. Why not do that? Why don't we bring a fire hose here at First Lutheran and all of us just get rebaptized? I mean, that would be special. Why? Because it is God who baptizes. It is God. There's an early, again, good heresy never dies. In the early church, there was this theology going around that if the pastor was a bad person, that the sacrament was invalid. No. That was proved to be heretical. Why? Because it is God that does the sacrament. It is Him who baptizes. So friends, you don't have to be rebaptized. Now, if you were baptized Mormon, you would have to be rebaptized because they don't baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we believe in one baptism. Most importantly, it's because God is at work through the sacrament. It is so important that we understand that. It is God at work through the table, right? Through the bread and the wine. It's God. And lastly, part of this is we believe in one God, it says. One God who is all-powerful. That again, he, I mean, I don't believe in a God that's a puppet master. You guys ever had those big puppets growing up on strings? You guys have to, I remember going to Six Flags. I had a Dalmatian dog, right? And it was the funnest thing ever. And there are some that believe that God is holding the strings and making us move. I take a more middle approach. And, I, and I'm right with Luther on this. God knows what's going to happen. He knows when I'm going to sin. He knows um, when I'm going to die. It's kind of morbid, but he does. But, but, he doesn't dictate everything I do. He gives me some free will. I get to make choices in my life. I get to choose do I sin and continue to sin and not make, a not make a change in my life? Or do I attempt to do better? Do I attempt to be a good person? Notice I'm going to fail. Do I attempt to love people? 
Not because God's forcing me, but because I want to. I want to care for people, right? God is all-powerful. Now, if God decides tomorrow to make us do something, that's the caveat. He's going to do it because he's God. He has that authority in our lives. Regardless of that swallowing us up with a big fish, as my son will tell you, Jonah cried and whined like a baby when he got swallowed up by that big fish. Or God, you know, decides to direct my car to go to a certain place. God's in control because he's God. And I have to accept that God is all-powerful. And lastly, now this, is, this could be a sermon on its own, the last couple of verses. It really gives me as pastor my call description, what it is that pastors do, what it is that people of God do. Now, if I were to summarize this, it is my role as pastor to equip the saints, the church, that's you all, the saints, for the ministry of the gospel, to equip the saints for you all to go out and do the work of God. Why? Let's go back again. The Reformation that's going to be next Sunday, we're going to celebrate. The priesthood of all believers. During that time period, it was only the educated priest that read the Word of God. You know, some priests didn't even read, have a Bible. And they would get up here and talk and lead the sacraments, and they never knew anything. They had stained glass windows, which you, know, you guys know I love. And they would preach off those windows. Right? But this all, this all changed in the Reformation. When Luther said, no, no, all of the God's people are called to ministry. And, okay, I know you guys know this answer by now. When are we called to ministry? Somebody tell me. At our baptism. At our baptism, we are called to ministry. So the moment when you put your hands in that water back there, either on the way in or way out, you remember your call. You were baptized into the family of God. You are, and, and the scripture says here, right? Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. You guys are called to be ministers in the marketplace. That is your call. My call is the word and sacrament ministry in the church. And, this, and, and I consider the world as my parish. So the town of Dundalk is my church, right? And I'm going to do the best job that I can do to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus. And then I need you all to be in the marketplace as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And I thought about this. I, I went to uh, the local coffee shop here in Dundalk. What's the name of it? Jo Joanne's. And there's a, a, a contractor sitting at the back table. You know, of course, we talked about the church here, but. He knows every person that walks in and out of that coffee shop. He has a friendship with the owners. He knows these people. They come and sit with him and talk to him. Now, 
Imagine if that were one of y'all and you could talk faith like this contractor can talk business. Now, what I'm saying is we can learn from the world while he's gaining friends to talk business and in some ways get clients. We can gain friends to spread the gospel. So we can learn from the world. Friends, we are called being people of love, of one accord, and lastly, being given a spiritual calling to bring the glory to God of the universe. And if as you continue the scripture here, verse 14, it says this, right? It's God's goal is for us to become mature adults. So as parents, I want you to think back. When your kids were living in a house, was it your goal for them to live in your house forever? Or did you want them to get out on their own and make a life for themselves? God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, wants us to do the same. He wants to be us to be fully grown. This is what the Scripture says. Measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who are tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and tricks. People play to deliberately mislead others. He does not want us to be infants. He wants us to grow in our faith and our wisdom and our love and our love for each other and the Lord, and not to be tempted by evil people who desire disunity in the body, because that is an act of Satan, friends. Disunity is an act of Satan. So when somebody tries to create disunity in the body, I want you to remember one Bible verse. Matthew 16:23. Maybe it's a familiar one. And you can get you can paraphrase. Jesus saying to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns." We must according to the next few verses speak truth with love. Thus, it implies Christian accountability to each other. Talking about sin, both public and private. So that we can build each other up. Now, we don't share sins with each other so we have you know, the gossip uh, column in the newspaper, right? Anybody ever been to like a barber shop or a beauty salon and you know, gossip's going around? Does that happen here in Dundalk? Okay. Good. Must just be small town America. I'd go to Craig's barber shop in my hometown and I would know everything going on, right? <laughs> That's not the point. It's not the point of, hey, did you hear what Pastor Blue's doing? You know? Did you hear what so and so's doing? No. It's to build each other up, it's to hold each other accountable. So that we could be a unified body of Christ that supports each other in our troubles, our struggles, our frailties. It's the unity that 
makes us who we are, counterculture of the world. The Christian soldiers of the Lord. Soldiers are there for each other. They battle against the same enemy. So friends, I charge you with the necessity of the unity as the church, the body of Christ. Not frankly, because I want everyone to say nice things about each other. That is really nice. I like when everybody gets along, you know. But because the scripture commands it, right? 479 scriptures, that includes today's, talk about the unity in the body of Christ. So you would have to, to say otherwise, go against 479 pieces of scripture this morning. Right? We must have unity in the body. It's what makes us Christians. And without our unity, we fail to be the church of Jesus Christ that he calls us to be. So dear friends, for the sake of the gospel, for our witness as the church here in Gray Manor, to our neighbors that don't know Jesus, and I know I keep bringing it up, but I personally know neighbors of the church on this road now that have no relationship with Jesus. None. And let me tell you, it weighs heavy on my heart knowing if something were to happen to them, they don't know God, right? We have to be an example. And for our own relationship with Jesus, because ultimately, right, like we are held accountable by Jesus individually on the day of judgment for our actions and behaviors. Now, we get, we get a free pass because of the blood of Christ, but it doesn't mean we won't be held accountable, right? I want to have a good relationship with my Savior, the God of the universe. As we read, I believe, in Job this morning, right? If we will be God's people, He will be our God. And we start, friends, by doing two simple things. By sharing a common vision and mission. It no longer becomes my thing or their thing. It no longer becomes all these separate things going on in the church, right? We are all in this together, one army marching forward, right? And so I tried uh, when I first got here. Uh, it's still in our bulletins because it's so important for me. I developed a, a threefold vision for the church, faith, family, future. And I want to go back to really thinking about that. That everything we do for the gospel of Jesus, we're not playing church. We're not doing any of that. It is for the gospel of Jesus to be spread. That we look at our faith. That we look at families that need Christ. And we look at the future ministry of this church, right? What is going to be your legacies when we're all gone from here, right? In 2040, I don't know, 2080, what is, what is going to be the legacy of First Lutheran? And that legacy, I pray, is that we are a faithful group of people following after Jesus. Amen? Let us pray. Almighty God, your Holy Scripture, God, is convicting 
of your spirit, God. That we are to be a unified body of Jesus. God, to proclaim the gospel, to bring peace to this community. God, help us be examples of your hands and feet. God, not for our glory, but for yours. God, help us be unified in vision and mission for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.